Esther tonight, chapter 8. For the past couple of weeks, well, we shared a big day. It was a big day for three. And the three at that time, of course, we're talking about the king, Queen Esther, and, and Haman. And then we shared a table for three at the end of that big day for the banquet where the king, the queen, and Haman met. But now we're going to look at a victory for three. And, well, Haman's not involved in those three. Haman is dead. Haman was hanged. He has died, but while he lived... Haman lived in a state of death-like character. The consequences of his sin led to his death. And it meant death for the Jews by the decree that he finagled into existence. You know, innocent people suffer at the hands of living people, and innocent people suffer at the hands of those whose bodies lie in the ground now. Sin lives on. It doesn't just affect us. It affects someone else. Haman's sin is affecting millions, actually, here at the portion we're getting to. And he is already gone. And, of course, I'm speaking about the decree that that he finagled into getting made that all of the Jews in the land throughout these 127 provinces would be killed. And so when that decree was set, the timeline was a little, just a little under a year out that that decree would come to pass, that the Jews would be killed. Haman has died, but the decree is still there. And the clock is ticking, and it's at about nine months now. And you may think, well, nine months is a long time. I doubt it's a long time for those who are going to die at the end of that nine months, according to a decree that was in the land. Unless there's an interruption in some way, all the Jews in the land could have been millions, by the way, could have been millions in the teens, possibly, across all of these provinces, they were going to die. Things didn't look good for God's people due to the effect of Haman's sin that was left in this world. But the words of Mordecai to Esther that we read back in chapter 4, they still apply to this event for such a time as this. Esther was the queen... Esther is still the queen, and it is no accident that she is the queen for such a time as this. It's still going on. So tonight we're going to look at, uh, well, three things, a victory for three. We're going to look at a ring for Mordecai. We're going to look at a request from Esther, and we're going to look at a resolution from the king. So so as we look at this ring for Mordecai, look with me in verses 1 and 2, and we'll include verse 15 in this reading as well. On that day, 
the king Ahasuerus gave give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Verse 15, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Haman not only left behind the worrisome effects of his sin, Haman left behind all of his wealth. When a traitor like Haman was executed, then the authority from the throne was able to take the property of that traitor. I mean, to use for his own. It was his right to do so. And Haman had a lot of wealth. You think about the money he threw out there to buy the execution of the Jews. He had a lot of wealth. When you think about Haman and the way he did things in such a finagling matter, you can't imagine that one of those dollars was clean that he had. None of his wealth came by honest means, you you know, most likely. He had a lot. He had a lot of wealth until... He didn't have it anymore. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. The king could have rightly taken all of Haman's wealth, but he gave it to his queen. I wonder if that was to make up for his carelessness and negligence and who he appointed and, and giving the authority to Haman and what he did. Not that he kn- the king did not know that she was uh, part of this certain people that Haman wanted to have killed, but, but still, you think maybe he was trying to make up for it and, and all of his careless uh, kingdom business work that he was doing. And so, but now he knows that the queen and Mordecai, they are both Jews, and he knows more than that. Now he understands that Mordecai and Queen Esther, they are related. They are closely related. And that makes the king related to Mordecai by marriage now. And and so these things are coming out. And that ring that Haman used to authorize that decree that the king carelessly and foolishly gave to him to do was given to Mordecai by the king. He's the prime minister now, if you'd like to call him that, of the land. So now the kingdom has a Jewish queen and a Jewish prime minister, the Jews have the best powerful setting or political setting, if you want to say, in the land that they have ever had. Mordecai 
not only had the ring, but Esther gave Mordecai Haman's estate. He now had all that belonged to Haman. That Psalms keep coming to my mind and Proverbs that go right along with what we're doing here. And in the 37th Psalm and the 34th verse concerning all that Haman had and Mordecai having it now, listen to these words, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. That really goes right along with what has happened to Haman down his dead-end road and what has happened to Mordecai down a glorious road as he has followed the Lord. You know, Mordecai, all along, you think about him, he has never asked for anything he has. He has never asked for any position that he has been given. He has simply lived righteously and done right. And as a result of that, making right decisions and doing what's right, he has been given what he has without asking. I worked a certain job for, for almost 15 years, and every time it came promotion time, everybody had an idea of who was shining and, and who would be interviewed for the job. I, I guess today with, with so many with so many people getting a little petty and law able to get involved with things. I, I, guess, I guess a job posting goes out and anyone can interview for it. Well, I, I work for an old school company and they only, they didn't want to spend their money, their time and their money, you know, interviewing people that, that were definitely not going to get it. So they just, they just picked out who was worthy of the position, who had worked hard, and they interviewed them. Anyone who asked for the job I never saw them get that promotion through the years. And those who were up for it and were interviewed, they didn't ask. They, they went to work, worked hard, and they went home. And next thing you know, they're, they're promoted. Mordecai never asked for anything that he had. He did his job at the gate. He did his job faithfully. He worked hard. And he, he was promoted to that, and now he's been promoted again. And you don't have to say it's from the family connection. You can say it's from the who the man Mordecai is and the hard work he did. Hey, he even got royal duds. You know, he, he inherited all these things, and he even got the clothes to go with it. Did you, did you catch that in verse 15? Uh, it, says, it says that uh, Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, blue and white, with a great crown of gold, with a garment of fine linen and purple. And, you know, you, you think about that, and you think about how this started back in chapter 1, and, and the king had his agenda-related feasts and festivities he had going on. And in verse 6, it says, 
where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linens and purple uh, to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble. And they gave them drink and vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. So Mordecai is now arrayed in in the royal clothing. He doesn't have just some old robe now. And again, he didn't ask for it. He was given it. Those new duds were were royal. I, I tell you, everything that Haman had, most likely it was stolen from a scheme, and now everything has been given to Mordecai as a gift to him. Reminds me of a treasure I, that uh, I heard somebody talking to one day and treasure of a church and, and they were saying, would you take money from so-and-so and would you take money from this kind of organization and would you take money from this kind of person with this intent? And I'm not here to get into all that kind of talk, but I just remember the treasurer's response. He said, sure I would. The devil's had it long enough. Well... That, that devil Haman's had all that he's had and he got it however he got it and now he doesn't have it anymore. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished and now it's been given as a gift to Mordecai. And thinking about Mordecai and Esther, let, we're getting to the end. Let's just kind of reflect on what's been going on here because when you think back, Mordecai and Esther, it appeared as though they had to be really quiet about their faith. And I counted that as one mark against them in the beginning. When Vashti was queen and a lot of things were going smooth on on their level anyway, Mordecai and Esther, you know, you didn't hear anything. These problems have come about in their lives and their faith started getting louder. Their faith started becoming more clear through the problem times that they were in. At the, at the peak of what would be an anxiety level, I would say, of those times, Esther asked for prayer and fasting. If there are 15 million Jews spread throughout the land and they're all praying and fasting, how can we not believe that there was a revival that was going on in the land right in the midst of their toughest troubles. And, and here we come to a place where we've just shared that Mordecai gets the ring. You know, that's the ring that they, you know, that they put in the wax to, to seal and make permanent whatever decree was made. I mean, he had the ring of authority in the land now. He was quiet, he trusted the Lord, he went along wisely, and now we, we have a, a happy ending here for Mordecai. And, and I just have to say this, it's a, it's really, it really might be a good time to, 
to stop and praise the Lord for the truth that when we are faithful to Him and when we follow His plan and when we follow His way, praise the Lord, we can rejoice and there are going to be blessings and He's going to see our way out of it. And, and a whole lot of times that's going to be the case. Let us be encouraged by that right now, that, that when we follow Him, we have His promises. But, but I've also, I'm just a preacher that'll, that'll say this also. It's not necessarily always a happy ending on this earth, that is. I mean, if you don't believe me, I was going to say read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36. But let me go ahead and read it after, after the early part of Hebrews 11, rejoicing over all of these by faith who did this and that. It says that others had true... Uh, had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of what was wrong with them? What, anything wrong with their faith? And thee, all, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise in this life like Mordecai did. Well, what? God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Sometimes that's going to be the case. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered them from the burning, fiery furnace. And we rejoice over what happened. Could you rejoice if they would have burned up? Yes, you could. Because they said, our God is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship your idol. What a way to go to heaven, huh? Standing strong for the Lord. That's something to rejoice in as well. Look, Mordecai made a bold stand for righteousness and what was right. It wasn't popular to do. The environment around him would not go along with it. And look, he could have been made a slave out of it. He could have been fired from his position at the gate. Or he could have been murdered for his righteous stance in the Messiah. I mean, Christians today may struggle in the workplace who cast the light of Christ in their environment. You know, preachers have even been fired for, from churches for standing for what was right and righteous because they love the church. Sometimes Christians can get the raw end of the deal uh, on, in this world for doing what is right. God allows some chapters in our lives like that. And look, that's real. But let me tell you something that's also real. Though He allows some chapters in our life like that, He has written the last chapter. 
And the last chapter for us is not going to end that way. We are going to all be promoted one day. Mordecai got promoted here. Praise the Lord. We're all going to get promoted one day when we go to be with the Lord. But in this case, and I hope it's that way for you, I pray God's many blessings upon you for standing for him. And Mordecai got them. Mordecai got the ring. But let's look at the request from Esther now, verses 3 through 6. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? You know, riches can ruin a Christian if they let it. I, say can, I didn't say they do ruin a Christian. I said they can. Many are going to be ruined by riches. They're going to look away from the church. They're going to look away from the Lord. They're going to forget who gave them their riches, and they're going to be gone. You know, those who can handle them, they know that God gave them to them. They use them for God's glory, and that's why God keeps giving them more. But it's ruined many people. I picture Esther. After all of Haman's estate and all of his possessions, that was a lot. And the king gave it to the queen. And the queen gives it to Mordecai. But, but not only that, not only did she just pass all that wealth onto, onto him, but she is burdened for her people in need of rescue while we need what Esther has. The royalty, the ranch, the riches of Haman could not contaminate Esther's mind from remembering her people. Her mind, her heart couldn't be bought out by all of those things. Mordecai's promoted look and given these things, but the decree of death upon these people still exists. It hasn't diminished. And Esther, right, at, right after that, she has tears. Tears until there is relief for her people. Isn't it true that we have a hard time rejoicing in the things of this world? with people still in bondage to sin who are lost and going to hell, who are in need of being saved? If, we, if not, 
we need to be more like Esther and have a burden for lost people and, and no possessions and no wealth and no material things should ever get in the way of having a heart for those in need of rescue. These are God's people, but they're in need of rescue. And we might just think about the lost people, though, in this world who are in need of rescue from their sins. I tell you what, there are so many things that will take our minds and take our hearts off of our witness to others. We need what Esther had. But what's the, but what's the mentality sometimes? May we never get to a place where we think, as long as I attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and give my offering, I will do as I please of my own pleasures with my life, and don't you think or say anything about it. If our mercy for those who are still condemned starts to fade, then look, I, I, what, what words do you say for that condition? We're just in terrible shape. We're in terrible shape. If our mercy for those who are lost begins to fade by anything else that comes into our lives, we are in terrible shape. Well, I, I believe I have mercy. How do we know if we have mercy for those who are lost? Well, we can, we can judge our mercy for those who are lost by our level of activity in witnessing to others. My friend was witnessed to several years ago, and he was so convicted when he was witnessed to. He was already a Christian, yet he was convicted by the witness because this man asked him if he knew how to get to heaven. And he said, well, yes, sir, I do. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins, was buried and raised again the third day. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I rest my life upon Him. I don't try to do good works. I don't think it was by baptism that I was saved. The Bible says it's by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And well, he gave him a good answer, and he was all happy about that. And then the man said, When was the last time someone told you about Jesus? And he had to take a shot at Christians, and he said, well, you know what, unfortunately, it's been a while. And then he said, when was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? And that convicted my friend, and it has changed his witness since, and that was years ago. How, in what span of time have we told six people about the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, we'll take that to measure our level of mercy for others. I'm not, I'm not saying we need to have an anti-mercy campaign against one another here. I don't think we would ever do anything like that. But when we look to Esther as a great example of nothing getting in the way of, of her compassion for the condemned that are in need of deliverance, what an example that is for us. There's an old hymn, and I'm not going to say it right because I've never heard it and I don't know how it goes, but, it, but the words start with, So send I you. And it says, So send I you to leave your life's ambition, to die to dear desire, 
self-willed resign to labor long and love where men revile you. So send I you to lose your life and mine. May nothing get in the way of our heart for those in need of rescue. It didn't happen in Esther's life. She, did, she didn't let all of that amount to anything compared to people and the condition of her people needing rescued. It wasn't in Esther's power, you know, to take away this coming destruction. Oh, what can she do? What can just one person do? Oh, what, what can we do in this or that situation? Because look at it and, and look at me. What can I do? Well, you know what? Esther couldn't do it all. She didn't have the authority, but she did what she could. She approached the king and she asked him to reverse the decree that Haman had created. Now, now that can't happen. We're going to get into the fact that, that the decree cannot be reversed. But yet, she went to him in tears with a heart of compassion for those people. And I tell you what, it was the next chapter of something good going on. She wanted nothing from the king. She passed along all the riches. She wanted nothing from him but for him to lift the burden from her people. Esther prayed. What can she do? Esther prayed and Esther petitioned the king. She had all of God's people in the land pray. And they fasted and she made her request before the king. Moses prayed on the mountain for Israel. Paul was willing to be accursed for his own countrymen, petitioning for them. Elijah prayed for Israel in their rebellion. Nehemiah prayed that the people of God would be helped. Daniel prayed for revelation for the, for the future of Israel and the plan that God had. Too many people are passing on prayer today. Praise God for a prayer meeting that takes place an hour before we start on Wednesday nights. We should mention that ministry with all the other ministries that go on more often. Thank God for that. Thank God to know that, that there are those who are praying for the church and praying for those in the church. Too many times there's the passing on from prayer when we have so many powerful examples of intercession in behalf of others recorded in God's Word and we see that He acts on those petitions that are made. And lost souls are at the door of death. May we, may we witness to them. May we pray for them. Prayer unleashes the power of God. You believe that tonight? I believe that prayer is powerful. I believe that, that our steps, which God in His providential work have laid out, I think we ought to be praying before all of our steps in life to get in line with God, to know 
that prayer is powerful and it's effective. Pray without ceasing. Don't lose that hacking cough of prayer or a prayerful spirit. Esther prayed and she petitioned. So now let's, let's go to the king. Let's go to the king. After the request of Esther, we go to the resolution from the king in verses 8 through 17. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which was written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the, the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is, the month of Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenant, lieutenants and deputies and rulers of the provinces, which are from India unto Ethiopia, that was the stretch of all the provinces, and, and 127 provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof, and according and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote in the, in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules and camels and young dromedaries wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together here's, here's the decree the king granted the Jews which were in every city gather themselves together and to stand for their life to destroy, to slay and to cause to perish all the power of the people and the province that would assault them both little ones and women and take the spoil of them for a prey upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month which is the month of Dar the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the post that rode upon mules and camels went out being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment and the decree was given at Shushan the palace and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Man, I'm, I'm so tempted to go into preaching a little bit of a sermon on parts of this as we look at the resolution of the king. Of course, we know the irreversibility of the Persian law. The king could not reverse this decree. We talked about this earlier. The Persian law, it could not be changed. It could not be reversed. The king could not alter this 
in any way. He could not revoke a law that was made by his authority. By his, by his ring, if you would. But he could issue a new decree. You know, we left off last week saying, what's going to happen to the Jews? Because the decree stands and it can't be taken away. Well, I, I'll give the king a little victory in this. Because, because there's a new decree. And he gives Mordecai the draft on it. You draft it up. You get this decree going. And the decree was that the Jews had permission by a new decree to defend themselves of any that would come against them to try to kill them or take their property. Haman was dead, but there were others like Haman in the land. You know, some, there are people with a great ability. They're a great, they have a great ability to lead others. Sometimes that's positive, sometimes that's negative. I know a Baptist preacher who grew up in a, in a, in a neighborhood, an area of Houston with gangs, and he knew the gangs. And after he got saved and became a preacher, he went out to his old neighborhood to witness to the gangs. But really not the gangs, just the gang leaders. He went to the he would tell about Jesus to all he would who would listen. But if he could get to that gang leader, he knew what kind of quality and ability that that gang leader had. He can get people to follow him. And if, and if that gang leader could get born again, God could use him to get all of those he led down the wrong path off of that dead end road and on a path to glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many have the ability to lead and it's in a good way or it's in a bad way. Haman had a lot of mini-me's in the land. There were a lot of people who hated like, like Haman did. And so according to this decree, the Jews could not be the aggressor. They could not initiate any conflict, but the decree gave them the right to defend themselves, to be able to respond to what came against them. God allowed this decree... And, and we read there where, where there was the taking out of women. There was the taking out of children that could even happen in the decree. And some people try to take another translation of the Bible and, says, and say that says something else. But look, God doesn't need any help. We, we find throughout the Bible and other places that whole groups of people, atheists love this subject, that why would a loving God have groups of have these people groups and all of their and their wives and their children taken out. Well, the foreknowledge of God separates God from everyone else. You understand none of us know what's going to happen when we walk out of this sanctuary, but God does and God knows next week and God knows next year, and God knows all of our lives, and God knows a people group, and God know, knew when a people group was never going to turn to Him, but only harm God's people. And so what about this cruel taking out of children? That's actually a mercy act. That's a mercy act for children who had not come to a knowledge to make a choice against the Lord or for the Lord, and the Lord takes those children home to heaven. 
So this decree is exactly what it says. And there are some who try to argue or criticize this decree. You know, they, they think about all of these different things that, that a decree was made that, that God's people could kill. Well, well, look, the ideal thing, it, we're, we're starting to close, but look, the ideal thing would be that Haman's decree never got to be passed, that it never got to be made. It is, it was, it is in existence. So therefore, self-defense was given in a new decree. And in the laws of the land, you know, self-defense is, is not a crime in and of itself. It's a personal law in Christ that we won't get revenge. But, but you know, there are civil laws. There's Romans chapter 13, which tells us that, that uh, the police force is ordained. Our military services, they are ordained of God. And... And so we look at this, and though it would be better if Haman's decree had never come about, look, it did. It did. And since it did, it, the best thing was a decree for the Jews to be able to defend themselves. And, and looking ahead just a minute in the next chapter, and this event coming about, and the, and, and the attack coming upon the Jews, look, they defended themselves only against those who attacked them, and it was ended up only being against men. They didn't take any possessions, though they had a right to take the spoil. And there were a lot less killed in this decree than would have been killed under Haman's decree. It could have been teens of millions under Haman's decree. And it was tens of thousands under this new decree. And again, think about God's covenant back in... Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee. There were some almost probably 100,000, definitely 70, 80,000 who had a hatred for the Jews just like Haman had. Uh, just waiting for the chance, waiting for the clock of those uh, nine months to tick down so that they could kill the Jews. When, Isaac, when uh, Isaac blessed Jacob, he said, Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Mordecai issued a decree, had it translated into all the languages, and had it put out of the decree, and, and God's people rejoiced. Not at the chance to kill, but at the chance that their life has now been saved from what's coming, they are now able to rejoice. You know, when you think about all these animals that, that serve to help posts to get this out in, in who knows how many languages to all these 127 provinces to get the good news out there, and that, that's a temptation to just start preaching, but we're closing up here. But just think for just a second at all the ability and transporting benefits we have to get the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ out. Praise God for those who have a ministry of printing the word of God and getting it printed in every language to get to everyone, every lost soul out there. God bless them who get that done. God bless the missionaries who put it in shoe leather, who get the gospel around the world. This good news came to the Jews 
and they rejoiced. They were excited. This chapter started out in tears, real sincere tears from Queen Esther about her people and the bondage that her people were in under this decree. But now they're able to rejoice. They have a reason to rejoice. Why did the Jews rejoice? They bursted out in all kinds of celebration. Why did they do that? Because they believed the decree. They believed what was said in, in that petition, in that covenant. And the effect was rejoicing. Do we believe the Word of God? How do we know that we believe that this is God's Word to us, our promises, our blessings, our salvation, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How do we know we believe it? We rejoice in the Word of God. The Word of God fills the Christian with joy. Our response to hearing the Word or reading the Word, meditating on those promises, our joy in our hearts and lives. According to verse 17, in all of this celebration and joyfulness of God's people, many who were not Jews sided with the Jews. You can't help but believe that there were those who were saved as a result of this event. Mordecai's bold stand. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't bow before Haman. He wouldn't stand up for Haman. He encouraged the queen to be bold, to stand up for her people. Mordecai couldn't do it all. But look what his bold stand started for what was right, for what was honest, for what was good and what was truthful. There's a lot who fell in line with Mordecai's firm, righteous stance. Those who were not Jews, maybe they did not become a Christian, but you know what? There were people in the land who believed that the God of the Jews cared for His people and that He was working in the behalf of His people and in a remarkable way. And they were a joyful people. They were a believing people. They were an excitable people. What's wrong with a bold stance for Jesus today? A bold stance for the truth today. I'm, I'm not sold. I don't buy what, what the haters of Christianity say about Christians. I don't believe we're haters at all. I believe we love everybody, want everybody to be saved. But there's no compromise. You understand? There's a, there's a man that wanted a, a fur coat and a bear that wanted breakfast. Bear said, come on in the cave and let's talk about it. They both got what they wanted. It's not good to compromise. A bold stand for Jesus. Don't, if, it was, if it was good 20 years ago, it's good today, amen? Stand bold for what's right, 
for the truth in Jesus Christ. There's not another way to heaven. There's not another set of Christian instructions that God has given His people. It is all in His Word. Stand bold for Jesus Christ. Stand bold in His truth. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to make you and I joyful Christians. And the combination of a Christian who will stand bold, who has the joy of the Lord in their heart, that just might get somebody excited about coming and being our guest to church. That might just get somebody excited about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Send a clear message of Jesus Christ and His truth to others because there is a lost and dying world out there and they need to be saved. God forbid we lose compassion for those who need to be rescued from their sin before it's too late. We're probably going to combine the next two lessons, next two chapters, and wow, that'll... That'll, that'll be it for Esther. And, and what great... Boy, it started out gloomy. It, it started out doom and gloom and wretchedness and sinfulness and manipulation. But I tell you what, God's providence all along the way, bringing God's people to a place of victory. Victory for God's people. Even, even, even if some end up like those in the end of Hebrews 11. Look, it's still victory for God's people. Man, there's a statement that hit my mind and I said it a while back and I can't, I can't get my mind off of it. The worst thing that ever happens to a Christian is, is better than the best thing that ever happens to the unsaved. And, and that's the truth for us. We have promises in heaven. Well, very far, close our Bible study in a in a word of prayer, and we've got to such good news in this lesson that, that we're running over.